0: Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen.
1: And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions.
0: Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in.
1: Hey, what's up, Dr. Dom?
0: I'm Doc Jen.
1: And we are going to be diving into our next PT Pearl, which starts from the ground. So
0: right? <laughs> you can't see us, but we're sitting on the floor on a little cushions. We're not like mm-hmm. completely on the <laughs> floor with our back supported on the wall. We've
1: got our sitting cushions.
0: Yeah, we're in little crisscross applesauce like we're back in <laughs> preschool or something. Right. Um, but we just showed on YouTube different variations for a test and a study we're going to talk about, which is the ability to stand from the floor without using your hands without putting your hands on the ground on your legs anywhere without using your knees so not even one knee touching the ground um, and without wobbling when you stand up so can you Go from the ground and stand up. So try it. Turn off this podcast it, unless you're driving. Don't do that right now. It'd be, um, <laughs> tough. It'd be
1: tough. you need a big car for that one.
0: And see if you can get on the floor and then stand up without using your knees and your hands.
1: Yeah. And I think that this is so pertinent because, you know, we've talked mobility already in a PT Pearl and this just really brings mobility to a more functional realm. Exactly. And, you know, functional mobility and actually moving around this world. Yeah. Getting from the ground and standing up takes quite a bit of mobility. And when I do this test, you can tell where I'm limited a few areas, especially the second time I did it going down, which the test doesn't include going back to the floor. But um, it can really point out some areas that you could improve mobility at a foundational level so that your functional mobility in life improves.
0: Exactly. So this study was done out of, I believe it was Spain. and the type of study it is, it's not the most reliable, but it is just another way of increasing our awareness and saying, Hey, yeah. our mobility, our functional strength and flexibility within our body is 100% tied as well to our longevity in life. So it's mm-hmm. like, if you can't do this, it's, it becomes a risk factor. Okay. Say you're, you're, drinking sodas every day and putting more sugar in your body or drinking alcohol every day or smoking every day like all of these are risk factors mm-hmm. that can contribute to different things down the road and ultimately contribute to mortality.
1: And the thing that I love about function now is especially because you know these are different behavioral risk factors but as you know clinicians we can look at some of these functional, you know, landmarks and biomarkers like getting from the ground to standing, like our gait speed, different things that are starting to show, hey, if these things aren't at a certain level, just in general, it shows that those people don't live as long. Right. Right.
0: So I believe I'm going to do this off my top of my head, but we'll put in the show notes exactly what it is in case I was wrong. (laughs) So and this study was really done for like 51 to 80 but think about it, like if they're testing sit to stand in 51 to 80 year old and yet you're a 30 year old who can't get off the floor mm-hmm. like that, that's saying something to you. <laughs> okay. you know,
1: what's what's going to happen once we're 50 or right. you know, I, we're all on our way to 50. So yeah. being aware of this now, now is great.
0: So important. So what they determined, it was kind of like on a scale from 10. And if you put a hand down, if you put a hand on your leg, if you put a knee down, if you wobbled when you stood, all these different things would start to subtract some points from that score. Right. Mm -hmm. And what they studied and what they found based on like kind of looking at people from, okay, we're going to test you now and then we're going to test you like years down the road and see retest and see who's kind of not doing as well anymore. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so what's that That's called a retrospective study, which is where it's not a big, you know, systematic review, which is the high level of research people look for. But again, it shows us a population at a certain time and Mm -hmm. how they progressed based on their function. Right. And what it showed that if they lost two points, or if they were below an eight,
0: so if they were below an eight, they had eight, they were you were two times likely to die within the next six and a half years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then if you kept scoring lower, what was it, below five?
0: Below three, oh, below three, you were five times more likely to not to die in the next six and a half years. So it is just another way of, again, looking at a risk factor. Does that mean, okay, in the next five years, I'm out? <laughs> no. No, it doesn't no. mean that at all. There's so much more a part of our bodies and a part of our lives that contribute, obviously, to death. But this is just a way of saying if you have Better mobility because you need hip mobility, ankle mobility, you need strength to be able to get off the floor. Now, if you have these better working parts within your body, you help to just say, I am increasing my longevity within my health, within my system, within my overall longevity of health and being.
1: Yeah. And I think that as we move forward into the future, we're starting to realize how we move in this world and that it's becoming less of a necessity to survive because of a lot of the conveniences and machines and things that we have that either help us move or reduce the need to move, Yeah, which is great because there's a lot of ways in which that can help us advance as human beings and provide for more people in this world. Mm -hmm. And it also (laughs) provides opportunity to sit on your bums all day.
0: Exactly. So it's like we're being called to find more ways of how we can move, especially if you work from home. If you're like, Mm. I get it stuck in these patterns of like just being inside and not moving enough.
1: Hey, hey, let's get off the couch and go for a walk.
0: (laughs) So yes, I work out every day. I love to sweat. I love to feel good in my body, but it also requires like I need to be out and just walking more. It is such a necessity Mm -hmm. to move. And even when I work from home, I'm not just I'm usually not just sitting at a desk. I'm laying on the couch. I'm sitting on the ground. I'm I'm moving around mm. different areas so that I put my body into various positions and various ranges of motion more often throughout the day. And that is the most important part is that we're moving more often throughout the day, even if you're working.
1: Yeah. And I'm never going to tell somebody that they need to quit their desk job or quit no. the job that you need to you know be on a computer or be on the phone all day because there are so many amazing opportunities to be able to insert a little bit of movement in your day Mm -hmm. during that working period so that you can then work out otherwise. You know, I'll I'll work with a lot of clients or patients that will say, you know, I work out for an hour and a half in the morning. I do my CrossFit routine and then I hammer away with my foam roller for a little while. And I just don't know why I'm having all this pain because I do all the exercises. And then you ask what they do during the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, well, I, you know, I go to my job or I I work from home and I I have a kind of a desk job, I work online, so I'm sitting all day. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's great. And if we only move and work for one hour a day and then we go and sit for eight to 10, what do you think our body's going to be adapting to over years of that pattern?
0: Exactly. Even if you're just, say you have a sit to stand desk. Okay. That's great. That, that increasing the, the, ability for your body to move a little bit more, but we're still not putting our body in the full range of motion. And there was another study. I can't remember all the specifics about it. I am so not a research nerd. Um, But there was another study that looked at the people who, people who pray more throughout the day. So other cultures where they're getting all the way down on the floor, getting into more of like a child's pose position and then Mm -hmm. standing back up and doing that like three times a day. Mm -hmm. And they have, less osteoarthritis within their hips. So less occurrence of osteoarthritis, I should say, rather than in the more modern culture where you are sitting at a desk, you're sitting in chairs, you're sitting in your couch and in your car, and you're not putting your body in this full range of motion. And even if you did it like in the morning, just for a workout, we're not doing it enough throughout the day. And so it's your opportunity to get creative rather than like, well, I can't do that. I wear this to work and I do this. And I rather than the pushback of excuses, let's look at the opportunity to get creative.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the things I go to first are do you spend any time on the phone? Mm-hmm. Are you ever on a webinar or a, you know, a call like that? Those are opportunities that you can be walking around the office the whole time or sitting on the ground or laying on your back with your feet up on your chair, doing some different things to get your body into different positions.
0: Yeah. And that is our, like, that's our meat and soul. That's our message really is to how can you just do more variations throughout the day? It's not the one perfect posture. It's not the one perfect sitting position, but it's the ability to, do more positions. And I heard someone say this once and I'm going to continue to repeat it because I love it. The best posture is the next posture. It's not what you're doing right now. It's the ability to, to get into these different positions more often and, and really like, putting your body back in just a seated position like so many older people, especially they can't do it anymore. And you're like, oh, well, it's just because I'm older. Well, it doesn't have to be that. And we have perfect examples of so many people who are older and maybe they do yoga all the time or they're doing different practices in their, where they're putting their body in more available ranges of motion more often. And we're like, oh, but they do that. Yeah, but so can you. <laughs> you know, you don't have yeah. to do yoga 24-7, but how can you develop other practices where you're putting your body in different positions?
1: Yeah, the way that our body develops and progresses and adapts is it truly is a product of all the stimulus yeah. and the collective stimulus that we take in throughout the day, which includes all of the moving and all the other factors and stressors in life and then foods we eat, of course, and yeah. we're mostly talking about the movement right now, right. but um, a couple other what we call physical biomarkers or these, these different things we can test that are physical activities that we look at for people, um, that I like to always bring up are standing on one leg or Mm -hmm. a variation of sitting to standing. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a test called the 30 second sit to stand, which is all it is, is sitting to standing from a chair, standard height chair without using your hands, cross your arms, see how many you can do in 30 seconds. And there are certain markers that if okay if you're below eight and you're at this age you're at an increased risk of falls Mm -hmm. same with single leg stand if you can't stand on a single leg for a certain amount of time you're at an increased risk of falls and these are studies that have a lot more backing to them right that we use in in clinical settings the the one sitting to standing from the floor is just a lot more fun
0: yeah exactly (laughs) and you don't have to know like well how long should i be standing well see how long you can stand right now on one foot and then See if you can improve. (laughs) That's it. Like you don't have to know the specifics. You just have to know where your body is right now and say it's only 10 seconds. Okay, how can I build it up to 30? How can I build it up to a minute? I would say you want to be standing on one leg more than a minute.
1: So yeah, I was just recently working with a gentleman who's 83 years old and just had ruptured his quad, right? big old injury to have at 83 years old and it was with a fall mm-hmm. right and one of the reasons we're bringing this up what did it say in that study like 28,000 or how?
0: Oh there's another study that I had looked at and 28,000 Americans over the age of 50 um die, die of falls or fall related injuries every single year 28,000 over yeah. 50
1: Yeah and I mean again, being aware of that mm-hmm. and not having fear of, of, right. of those falls is the main thing. Cause this gentleman, I started getting him to do tandem stance and tandem walking in his kitchen, which tandem mm-hmm. is just walking heel to toe, you know, kind of like you do for a sobriety test or something. And I just had him start standing stable. And at first he had to have Both hands on on you know the counter on both sides, and then he had to get in the position, and he would just barely take his fingers up, and he's just like, no way, like what are you having me, what am I trying to do here? Yeah. And then after a week of doing it, after two weeks of doing it, the guy was tandem walking back and forth and hardly using his fingertips, and this is an 83 year old who just had a really fairly serious injury Mm and fall. And by the end of that, he's like, man, I feel so much more confident just moving around because you feel comfortable controlling your body. And so that's more what we're trying to do is give you back control in those later years when a lot of people might not be living as independent and functional lives.
0: Exactly. So. Try this. Try it every day. I mean, you want a functional movement that you can do every day that has that increases your mobility and increases your strength. It's literally practicing getting down on the floor and getting up off the floor with no hands. Now, maybe at first you have to put a knee down. Maybe at first you have to put a couple hands down. Maybe at first you need to utilize something around you. Okay. Have that be okay, and be safe about it. Okay, we don't want anyone like, like yes, trying to please. do it and and falling and hurting themselves. Yeah, it's made you
1: hurt yourself. Be safe. Be safe.
0: Make sure that if you don't, you're not sure that you can do it. Have something around you that you can grab onto for support. Um, that's not just a person cause you don't want to take them down
1: because <laughs> I've seen people our age that have tried to do this and, well, and yeah, I have family members <laughs> who have tried
0: to do this and definitely almost injured themselves. So be careful, be smart when you're doing it, but have fun with it because if, if we can just start to improve the way that we move within our body, oh my goodness, you're going to start freeing up so much. So many restrictions, pains, things that you thought never could go away are Mm. suddenly going to start going away.
1: And this is another just message that exercise has a very like, (laughs) when we say exercise, people think a certain thing. Yeah. And in reality, if you get up every day and work on, okay, I'm going to sit down, put my hand down, stand up, get back down, stand up, switch to the other knee three times on each side Mm -hmm. and then you stand on one foot while you're brushing your teeth for 30 seconds on each side if that's all you did every day for six weeks i promise you Mm-hmm. You know, call me back when you call me up when you've done that for six weeks straight and tell me that nothing has changed. Yeah. And I promise you, you will see so many changes in just that six weeks. You'll be like, wow, now I can do so much more. Now I can push. And now my exercise options really start to open up.
0: Right. Exactly. So it's really just going to increase everything. And if you really if you're like, this is easy, I'm going to ch- I'm going to give you one last little challenge. If you guys are like, this is too easy. <laughs> um, I want you to sit to stand, so going all the way down, all the way back up. I don't care about hands, knees, feet anymore, but right hand on your left knee (laughs) the entire time. Do you want to try it? What? So, (laughs) well, it'd it'd be too hard. It'd be too hard uh, for us to do it right now, but... You get all the way down. So I want you to lay down on your stomach, keeping your hand on your knee. I want you to lay down on your right side, lay down on your left side, lay down on your back and go all the way up. And don't let this knee is like, this hand is like glued to the knee. Try it with the same side. Try it with the opposite. Try it with that one. And you'll notice these little... I'm um, like
1: interested to try some of these. And that that.
0: becomes an exercise. I mean, it's really fun, especially if you're a coach or something and you want to do it with your athletes, like as a warm up or as a fun game. It's really fun and it gets people Hmm. thinking in a different way, utilizing their brain of like, how can my muscles and and my body do this? Um, And the hardest one I would say are the hands behind the, on the bottom. (laughs) So both hands on your bottom, go down onto your stomach and stand back up. You could do it. Don't scratch your face, but (laughs) it's tough. Like these are, and so if you just start exploring, playing, like doing different things with getting Mm -hmm. down on the ground and getting back up. It's, it's going to make you a more functional, moving human.
1: All right. So our next interview is Dr. Stacy Morris, otherwise known as The Physio Fix on Instagram. She's also a doctor of physical therapy, and we're so excited to have her because she just has this amazing journey and story, and it's going to bring some amazing takeaways for you guys.
0: Yeah. Besides just being a doctor of physical therapy, I think what's cool is that her and my story kind of mirror each other Mm -hmm. with being a gymnast and everything. Of course, she competed in gymnastics, has 10 orthopedic surgeries through her journey. But then became a weightlifting coach, a strength conditioning therapist, a mobility specialist. Like the way she continues to move into her body is really incredible. And the way that she supports patients through their body. So I'm really excited for people to learn what she has to share on this episode. Welcome Dr. Stacey to the podcast. I am so incredibly excited to have yet again another amazing physical therapist on the show with us. Your whole story, everything that you do and what you're about, I'm really excited for people to get into. So Stacey, can you kind of intro yourself right now? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. You know, I've always looked up to you and idolized you. To have you want me on your show is fantastic and oh. I can't even fathom it, but thank you. So, I'll kind of dive into a little bit of my background and bring everyone up to speed of kind of who I am and what I stand for. Yeah. Again, my name is Stacy. I am a doctor of physical therapy. I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I am a USA weightlifting coach as well, and my background is actually in gymnastics. So, I started gymnastics when I was four years old. I did gymnastics until I was 22, throughout college and everything. So I got a full gymnastics scholarship to Illinois State University. And it was kind of during that time period where I sustained quite a few injuries. Shocking, being a gymnast. And (laughs) I actually had 10 orthopedic surgeries, which I know people think is absolutely insane. And nowadays that would probably never happen. But back then, that was kind of the only option that was provided to me. They were like, here, you if you want to continue your sport, you're going to have to get the surgery and kind of rehab back. And so it was quite frustrating having, you know, injury after injury and having to figure out how to rehab these things, not only with my trainer in college, but also when I went home in the summer on my own. And so it was during that time that I was like, you know what, this is so fascinating to me. And I want to be that person to help bridge the gap between rehab in sports. And so yes. fast forward, I you know, got through undergrad and I decided to be a sports and performance coach for about a year and a half. And so I did that before I even went to PT school. And so that's where I got a lot of my exercise background. I learned how to properly weight train, power lift, do, you know, all these different things for strength training, and I still was very fascinated why some people had pain, why others felt fine, and what I could do to help those that were in pain feel better. So I got into Duke University, went there. That was 2012. I graduated in 2015. I decided that I wanted to move to Phoenix, Arizona because it's beautiful here. And I didn't really know about the summers at that time. So I found out that later. But I interviewed for a job. It was like, this is cool. This is a sports orthopedic clinic. I thought it was going to be fantastic. And I get here and I start working and I started treating 30 plus patients a day and it was Whew. overwhelming the wow. amount of patients I had to treat and the documentation that I had to do and I never had time to do pretty much anything else so I was extremely stressed and overwhelmed and I decided at that point after one long day and another you know a couple days of crying I would seriously cry like every day after work because I was just so stressed that I was like you know what this this isn't me I can't keep doing this And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't keep doing this. So I decided to quit my job like right away. And that was after two years of working for someone. And then I opened up my own practice. And I've been practicing by myself for three years. I kind of work in a private gym setup. And I can be that person to provide that one-on-one care for an hour and help bridge the gap between an injury and performance. So I generally work with gymnasts just because my background and strength athletes also because my background too. So that's just kind of a quick overview of who I am and what I stand for in the population that I primarily treat.
0: Thank you for that. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm excited because we're going to kind of tear through some of what you talked about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I come from very similar background, but you blow me out of the water with it. (laughs) (laughs) I was only a gymnast for nine years. So thanks for that, Stacey. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But I love that. It's just funny because we marry each other in a lot of ways where you were a gymnast, I was a gymnast, then between undergrad and grad school, you kind of went into learning more about exercise and the body in that way. And though I didn't go into strength conditioning, I started teaching Pilates, taught that for six years all the way through school. And that, again, just gave me a better opening into the body and modifications and progressions and training and programming and different things like that, you know, and it does help so much when you go in to become a physical therapist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: It's funny when we have these conversations because you say like, oh, I idolize you. And she's like, before we get on the call, like, oh my God, she was a gymnast for 18 years. So (laughs) I think you won her over very quick because you have a background as a gymnast and also being a physical therapist. You two would be a couple peas in a pod. (laughs) But I want to kind of Talk back into you talked about all these injuries and all these surgeries. And when I initially saw that, you know, as a PT, I was like, 10 orthopedic surgeries? What? And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. What kind of surgeries you had, and thinking back for people who are listening who are athletes and dealing with things where they're saying, oh, you might need to have this surgery, or, or they're getting consultation from different orthopedists and stuff. How would you encourage people to, to approach when they're getting injuries in athletics? And, and how to seek out good information on what their next step should be?
2: I mean, it's hard because sometimes if you go to a certain doctor, you go to a certain surgeon, like I see a lot of surgeons recommend surgery, right? Like that's how they make their money. I get it. But at the same time, like if they don't exhaust all other options, then how do you know that someone's going to just do better with a surgery. So, I would always recommend that you know someone goes to more of a general orthopedic doctor and not a surgeon at first because those are the mm-hmm. people that I find refer more to physical therapists and then during physical therapy, you know, you got to give it a shot. You don't know until you give it a shot and try if it's going to work. And I would say, you know, some people were like how long should I give it a shot for? And it depends on the person and the injury, but That's what a physical therapist is for is to walk you through that complex situation and be like, all right, for this hip labral injury, it could be, you know, four to six months. And if you're not feeling better then, and you're still having a lot of mechanical symptoms and stuff, then I may suggest getting the surgery. But I think that when you think about a surgery, your body undergoes all this trauma. And then you have all these things you have to overcome. And so six months of therapy versus getting a surgery and then having to come back, it could be, you know, a year, a year and a half until they feel 100% again. So I just always encourage them to at least go to a sports doctor and get checked out by a physical therapist and give it an actual shot and not just, you know, a couple weeks and, oh, I don't feel better. I might as well just get the surgery sort of thing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love that answer. And I find a lot of the times I'll be working with individuals who have gotten the surgery and they're just like confused as to why it doesn't feel completely better and why all of everything is gone and you know the shoulder or the hip is perfect again right and I think that going into that surgery everyone equates okay surgery will fix this and symptoms will be gone right and we're just learning that that's not as much the case so say somebody comes to you and they're just like oh I have a rotator cuff tear and this happened two days ago and they told me that you know, they'd be able to clean it up or fix it or whatever. What would you tell a young gymnast or something that came in with that kind of story?
2: Did they already have the surgery? Is that what you said?
1: No, no. They just had a rotator cuff tear, Uh had an MRI. Yeah, the MRI shows my rotator cuff is partially torn, you know, and they're less than a week out. And that's generally the time when people are like, oh, I need to get this fixed. I need to get this Mm -hmm. fixed. You know, what's something that you would tell somebody in that type of scenario? Or, you know, not even an athlete, just somebody from the general population.
2: Yeah, well, when people come in with you know an injury at all, you know, I tell them what the statistics show, and especially for like rotator cuff injuries, there's like 68 percent of people walking around that have a rotator cuff tear, mm-hmm. like a partial tear that are asymptomatic. So the reason you know they're in pain may or may not have anything to do with that rotator cuff tear. That might just be a subsequent finding that they found in the MRI. So I would you know make sure I do a formal evaluation and kind of educate them on the fact that like, oh, I found this to be weak and this to be tight and this isn't working properly mechanically. And I think that if we approach each of these things and address them and help get them better and you moving better, you might be feeling better and your pain may eventually go away without ever needing the surgery. And so if I just explain things like that and educate them, then they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. And then if I also tell them that the surgery might not take their pain away which we know that sometimes surgeries might make me feel a little bit better but your pain might not ever go away so then they're like oh well if my pain's not going to go away anyways i might as well just try physical therapy and see if that can help me without getting a surgery
0: and how do you kind of prep people for the expectation of how long it can take like okay i'm going to go through this physical therapy <laughs> trial and kind of see if that helps But how do you prep people with like, okay, but I can get surgery next week and it would be fixed and done versus, well, you're going to have to just kind of wait and see and go through the process. So how do you kind of prep people mentally for that expectation?
2: That one's really hard. I think it just really depends on like how much rapport I have with each patient and how quickly I can build that relationship to have them trust me. And then I kind of just dive into like, if you had a rotator cuff surgery, you're going to be immobilized for a period of time. And then after eight weeks of being immobilized, then you're going to have to try to break through that range of motion. Okay. And even though your pain is gone and the problem's fixed. Now you have a month of breaking through that range of motion. Then you have another month of trying to work on just strengthening, basic strengthening. And then another month of this. And you're like already six to eight months out before you're doing any functional tasks that are for your sport. So I tell them, you know, like if you're coming in and we're doing therapy, then obviously we don't know the timeline that everything's going to feel better. And I can't give you that answer. I wish I could but we're going to play it you know, day by day. And as long as we're progressing and not just in terms of pain, but in like function, then we know that we're making progress and we're getting closer to your goals and what you want to do.
0: Yeah, that's so huge. Do you think that as a gymnast growing up, especially for 18 years, do you think you got more surgeries because you didn't have access to his like physical therapy and that wasn't pushed as much?
2: Yeah, I mean, when we were growing up, they didn't have like pediatric sports physical therapist or just anyone to know like what to do with you. So I feel like back then too, they didn't have any good outcomes to figure out like is surgery better than just conservative therapy? So they just pushed a surgery. You know, they didn't even offer. That's just crazy to me nowadays. After like going through physical therapy school, they never even said like, hey, if you just try physical therapy for a couple months, you may be better and you might not need the surgery and I just think that's crazy because they're just like, hey, you have this injury, let's do this surgery. That's all we know how to do. And I don't know, it's just a different like frame of mind now based on all the research that we've done and the new things out there to show us that physical therapy really
0: does help a majority of things without surgery. Yeah. I mean, I never went to see a physical therapist. People ask me all the time, well, did you become a physical therapist because you saw one through gymnastics and I'm like, honestly, I wore wrist guards when my wrists are hurting. I taped my ankle if I sprained it, I sat out and conditioned instead of practice. like I didn't ever see a physical therapist. and it blows my mind that it wasn't prescribed, that it wasn't used in conjunction with how we were treating our bodies. And how do you think that's kind of impacted the way that you Treat now or that you approach you know families and gymnasts and different athletes like that oh this
2: is a huge thing for me because I get to tell them like my stories of how things were back then you know like it was a long time ago, but you know really it has changed so much in just like twenty years that I get to tell them like okay, this is how you know I had to go about it then, but you guys have more options now and and we now know and I give them the whole education speech of that things can be, you know, adjusted, and we can manage your symptoms and your pain just with physical therapy. So I think since I did it the hard way, and the other way, I get to tell them that like, now I know from my education that that wasn't the best way to go about it. And we now know all this new information. And so the patients and the parents are just like, Oh, wow, like, If you did it that way and you don't think that way was the best way, then maybe the way that you're now prescribing is the better way and the better option. So I think it kind of gives that buy-in factor.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And I mean, just this whole discussion, I think, is huge. And we need to have more people having this openly, how we manage young athletes and teach them about their body. Because we're also realizing that the words that provider tell to young athletes hold a lot of weight sometimes. And we can really make people think certain things about their bodies based on what, what we say. So I love the way you approach that. You talked a little bit also about moving quickly out of the clinic and getting a bit burnt out and working with 30 patients a day right away, which is just crazy. Why the quick transition and how do you feel like it impacted the way you were able to treat and the services you were able to provide to the people you worked with?
2: So, yeah, I did work for someone else for the first two years and it's definitely, I would describe it as the typical outpatient mill. So, you're just, you're going through a ton of patients, which also meant though that I got a ton of experience in a short duration of time. So, that's the silver lining I like to tell myself is that I got so much experience and I learned what not to do and what I, didn't want to do as a clinician and how I didn't want to treat for the rest of my life during those first two years. So, you know, I think that I always wanted to put the patients first. And I saw a lot of my other clinicians that would just spend a few minutes with a patient and then they would just document and they would let the tech take them through their exercises. And I've never been the type of person to like let someone else do what I think that I can do better than them. So it's very type A of me, but I wanted to walk my patients through the exercises and make sure they were doing them correctly. And I felt like I was doing them a disservice if I wasn't able to provide that high quality care. These techs, they don't know because they don't have the education and the background to know if you know that movement is proper. And if, you know, they need to regress or progress. So I felt like when I could see my patients for one-on-one and I could spend more time with them, I could get them better, even faster and out of the clinic. So when I was finally like fed up with everything, I just decided that I wanted to do one-on-one and there wasn't really a model created, especially in this area that kind of gave that to me. So I had to just create it. Like, it was so scary. I didn't know what to do. I had literally no background of how to do anything business, but I was like, this is the model that I want. And this is really what my dream is, is to now create this model so people can feel like they are the most important thing when they're in physical therapy and which they should be. And I kind of did a little bit of insurance at first and cash-based, which was a nightmare on the insurance side of things. But I'm primarily just cash-based at this time because I realize it's a nightmare. Yeah, now I can just provide that high quality service and the patients love it. Like they are like, I've been to other therapists and this is nothing like I've ever had before. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's not about the money because I'm obviously not making as much as I was making there, but I am providing more value and I can get people better faster. And then they just spread word of mouth. And now I have a larger following on Instagram. And now I have people from across the world buying my programs because they're friends of a patient of mine. So it just kind of grew that way. So it's kind of cool. So I can just give them better care.
1: Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I recognized something in my own career early on. And I think that what you said, you started telling yourself, like, this is a great opportunity to be able to see a lot of people. And I just kept telling myself that too and learned a lot in the traveling position I was in. But you talked about your transition. You mentioned like, oh, you would just pass somebody to a tech to do exercise. I worked in a PT clinic where I was the one doing exercise with everyone. And they were letting me progress exercises and this and that. And now that I'm a PT, I'm like, they were billing PT hours for this. So I had a lot of that internal conflict as well. So talking about the people who might be seeking out these therapy services, when would you say is the right time for them to start considering or looking at these cash pay services? I mean, you've talked about the benefit of you feeling like you can get people better faster, you can get them better information, better care. So if they are having frustrations with the normal system or this insurance system, when would you say is the right time for them to start seeking out Cash based services, or how exactly do they find those providers?
2: How they find them, I, I have no idea. I don't think there's even like a database at this point for cash-based providers. But you know, I think word of mouth. Definitely, people know like who is in the area that does like cash-based one-on-one service. Especially in my area, there's like at least ten that come to mind. And mostly females at this point, which is kind of crazy Mm -hmm. because, you know, usually you think of mostly males owning clinics and doing that. And I know a lot of more females in this area specifically that do that other than guys, which is just kind of a switch on the
0: traditional method. When is it appropriate for someone to be like, oh, well, my doctor recommended me go to this clinic, so I'm just going to go to this clinic. My insurance pays for it. It's all good. But yeah, they're going for weeks or like two to three visits every single week and they're not really seeing that much progress. Like when would you say, you know, it is beneficial to seek out someone that you heard possibly pays cash?
2: I see it more in people that come in that have like more than just one thing going wrong with them. Yeah. Um so they'll be like, Hey, my my shoulder hurts and my knee hurts and my back hurts, but you know, at the other physical therapy clinic, I could only work on one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Why? you know, like you could work on all of them. They're like, Oh, no, they said that, you know, based on insurance, that they could only treat the area that the the script was written for. And I'm like, that's just like, you could do other things as a provider without having that script written. But people don't want to, you know, or maybe they don't have time to. So I feel like when they come to see me, that's one of the reasons why they do is because they have multiple things going on. And they want everything to be fixed. They don't want to spend four weeks on this one injury and then four weeks on another injury and then four weeks on another injury. They'd rather just kill three birds with one stone, come to a provider, even though they're paying a little bit more, they're getting better faster. So then they can have less sessions and get back to their life quicker.
0: Totally. And I think that's important for people to realize like it doesn't have to be just, oh, my physical therapist only gets to touch me for like 10 to 15 minutes. And then I work with an aide or I get a you know, a massage or an ultrasound, like it can be a full treatment with someone who's really like you're in their hands when you get to see someone, Mm -hmm. you know, full cash base. And I think that's what's so important. I'm going to transition just a little bit. And I do see, again, another parallel, another mirror to you and I, (laughs) to the fact that you have a mobility program out. Now, I think the first thing that I love to get people to realize like what is your definition of mobility and how does that differ from what people might think of it traditionally as
2: I feel like there's such a misconception what like mobility versus flexibility is. And I, you know, I tell people that flexibility is like passive mobility. Yes, it is part of mobility, but it's more of like the muscles and how much they can stretch. That is flexibility mobility, it refers to the joint and how much movement you have accessible at one joint. And so then you have your passive mobility, and then you have your active mobility. And then I like to really focus on more the active side of things, because I think that it doesn't matter how much passive mobility you have if you can't control your mobility. So a lot of my programs include a lot of active mobility work to learn how to control certain positions and strengthen within those positions. So you can build strength and still build stability and then also get better joint health out of it.
1: Yeah. No, I love that because you see people drop down and touch their elbows to the ground and then they can't functionally use their their hamstrings or or anything like that. So active versus passive versus skilled movements, you know, have a lot to do with the difference between that mobility and stretching because everyone just has oh what's the best stretch I'm like well Mm -hmm. it's this whole concept of stretching that we just need to start to change that paradigm of what people understand I want to ask a little bit about your 48 week mobility program I saw that I'm like wow 48 weeks what would you say to somebody to convince them that hey you should go through this whole 48 week program and it's important that you stick with it you know what would yeah I want you to talk a little bit about that because that
2: intrigued me Okay. So yeah, so my 48 week program, it's divided into you like four week blocks. So every four weeks, they get a shoulder or like an upper body mobility day, they get a lower body or a hip mobility day, they get a spine based mobility day, and then there's an extra. So the extra could be like a full body mobility day an ankle mobility and neck mobility, a wrist mobility, it's kind of like whatever extra I wanted to put in that month and so it works on learning how to improve your control of certain positions and you know not only get able to access more mobility but also you know improve upon that so i tell people that it takes a while to improve your mobility especially like when it comes to like hips and ankles like those are pretty stiff joints if you haven't worked on them for a while so you know you might not want to just do a 4 week program you might need it to be longer and if you really want to focus on Being able to gain that mobility and retain that mobility for the rest of your life, you got to really put in the work and that comes with months and months of mobility work. So I definitely encourage people to get on that program because easily it's designed for the person that's at home that doesn't have a ton of mobility, that only wants to spend about 20 to 30 minutes at a time working on it, that doesn't need any equipment. So it's just completely no equipment home-based each month, it kind of progresses on the month before. So then you can tap into that mobility and also keep improving your strength. So it's kind of a sneaky strength program. At the same time, a lot of people are like, I'm sore from it. And I'm like, yeah, you're actually strengthening at the same time.
0: I love the way that you kind of set that up in people's minds because I've seen before like a four-week mobility, eight-week, and I'm like, what? Like, first of all, where are you even starting them and how is that going to work for someone? So I love that you set people up for the long-term goal. And that is the mindset that we should be going into, like adapting and creating long-term change, not just short-term outcomes. So I love that you really get that already prepped in people's minds, just in the title of what they know that they're purchasing. So that's amazing. And I do want to say, this is you showing that mobility and strength play a role together and how it's not one or the other, but it's both. Do you still get people who kind of question you on this? Like, well, how can I work on my mobility, but I'm just really trying to get strong. Actually, no,
2: it's weird enough. Like when I have even like the the highest level powerlifters come in or weightlifters, they come in and they are strong, like very strong, but they do not have good mobility and they can't control their, you know, anything that they're trying to do. And it just, it makes me concerned for their future, right? If your joints aren't moving and working at their optimal capacity, then what's the rest of your life going to look like once you're done with your sport? I don't think that they need much convincing once I show them like this is where your mobility is right here. And this is where it needs to be. And they're like, wow, like, I really need to work on that. They're highly motivated, especially my patients, that they want to start tackling that even as like a strong man or a powerlifter or a weightlifter. They take their mobility work quite seriously. And they send me videos and be like, hey, look, I'm doing it. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Like, it's sometimes it's hard to get like people like that to start doing mobility work, because, you know, it's not flashy, it's not sexy, it's not, you know, lifting 600 pounds, but it's really going to make a difference in how they feel long term. So I think that once I just explain that early on, then they have a full buy in and they're like, let's do it.
1: No, I love that. I mean, just for my own personal journey, I did Olympic lifting, and I'm putting air quotes around that when I was in college as a (laughs) as a college athlete, because in reality, a lot of the way I lifted resulted in some of the injuries and things that I started to develop in my knees and my shoulders and my low back were taken on a lot of stresses for places I didn't have that mobility. So I really appreciate that you approach things that way. And I have kind of made the transition out of doing really heavy Olympic lifting into a lot more mobility work myself because it has made me feel so much more powerful and strong.
0: Yeah, it's so important. And I do just want to tap on real quick, right before we wrap up, the fact that You are an incredible athlete yourself and you're strong and a powerful female and you show that. And I commend you for showing that, first of all, but how do you approach females in terms of the fear of getting really strong and how do you approach pushback from maybe some men who (laughs) aren't used to seeing that? Are you uh, referring to
2: my post that I put up yesterday? Possibly. <laughs> okay. I think that it goes back to the whole like strong women intimidate weak men sort of thing. Mm. And so I really try to like if someone doesn't like, you know, strong women or how that looks, like okay, it's not everyone's cup of tea. I get that. It just You don't need to put someone on blast and just like say like everything nasty and hateful about them to the world, you know, and have the world see it. So, from that perspective, I really just don't engage with those people because they're not worth my time. I'll just report them, block them, and I'm done with it. And then from the female perspective, you know, I explained that we don't have testosterone like guys do. We can't get big like that. Like, unless you've been doing it for such a long time, there is no possible way for us to get big and bulky. So, You know, if you want to get stronger and you want to look lean and toned, then weightlifting is the way to go because you're burning a ton of calories. You're getting really strong. And as we get older, it's even more important to strength train and females really need to start strength training if they're not doing it right now. So that's what I tell them. And most people are pretty open to the idea. Some people don't like to lift heavy. But that's okay. We can still do what we can and do like more tempo-based work or more eccentrics, just to work on strength training and it doesn't have to be heavy for it to be effective.
0: Yes. I love
1: that. Lots of ways to get strong. Lots of ways to get lean and do your thing. Mm -hmm. And if you don't agree with what someone else is doing, that's okay. (laughs) Um, I want to ask a little bit. You have some other mobility programs, strength and mobility programs, specifically for in home, which would be absolutely perfect. Where can other people find out more about these and just find out more about you?
2: So if you go on my Instagram, you can definitely see more about me. Uh, the link in my bio will lead you right to my online programs. The home-based programs are the first two that pop up on the top. There's one that just requires a little bit of equipment, but I list that in the description. One that doesn't require any equipment at all. These are full programs four days a week. It's like on an upper push, lower pull cycle. So you can make sure that you hit all body parts twice a week. And yeah, it's really good right now. I'm still running a half off the first month for those programs if you use the code home gains. So that'll be good for probably the end of the year. So if people want to jump on that and take advantage, they definitely can
0: Perfect. That's amazing. And if you guys are haven't gone there yet, it's the Physio Fix. <laughs> and that's where you can learn all about Stacey. See her amazing posts. You're putting out content continuously. And the other thing that I really love that you're doing with your content is that you collab with other people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I thank you for showing, one, that collaboration is key. I mean, that's how I've grown my Instagram. That's how I even started <laughs> becoming this instagram person is by people you know helping push me and and collaboration is everything so thank you Stacey, for being a a stand in that in our realm of physical therapy and mm-hmm. as clinicians i mm-hmm. think that's important for people to see how we work together with people and just everything that you're putting out it's so incredible it's so helpful you're not only just putting out posts but you're answering questions and you're really maximizing the education that people can attain. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Well,
2: thank you so much for saying so. And hopefully one day we can collab, hopefully soon, sooner rather than later. But yes, I will keep collaborating with people because I can learn from them just as much as they can learn from me. And, you know, there's a lot of good clinicians out there that don't have the exposure. So I just want to help everyone out the best way I can.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. Lead from a group, always be Mm -hmm. humble, get strong get mobile (laughs) yeah right thank you so much for being on with us today we appreciate so much this gap that you're helping address in the way we get information to people and the way we help people work in their strong bodies whether from injury or just into optimization thanks so much for being with us today hope you all can go check out stacy at the physio fix
2: thank you guys thanks again
1: Thank you so much for listening to us on the Optimal Body Podcast, where we're gonna continue to bring you the PT pearls and guests that will help you find your optimal body. Now, head over to wherever you listen to this and leave us an honest review. And head to docgenfit.com backslash podcast, where you can find all the show notes.
0: Don't forget that we're going to give away a free month to someone who subscribes, leaves us an awesome review and lets us know what they want to review on the next PT Pearl. So we'll be choosing that once a week to get into a free month of the Optimal Body Membership.